Our Father, we bow here again once in your, again in your presence. We pray, Father, your direction and guidance. As we go through the remainder of the service, that you would open up your word to us, that our lives can be changed. Father, I pray for each and every individual that is here today. They come in with needs. They come in probably with problems that they don't want to tell anybody about. Lord, our prayers are for them today, that whatever it is that they need from you, they would find here today. We ask now that you would just bless us as we go through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all be seated? Um, I've got a throat lozenge in my mouth. If I slur my words, I'm not drinking. I just want you to know that. Full disclosure here. Um, I've got the creepy crud again. So anyway, I've got my water, my hanky, and my throat lozenges. So I think we're in business here. If I start coughing, just bear with me, all right? All right. Um, I think one of the biggest problems that Christians have today is following the crowd, and that applies to everybody. Students, for example, they want to be like the popular children in classes and in school. They want to be like their friends. And it's not just them. It's uh, adults, too. We tend to want to follow the crowd. People at work that we admire or we think that are cool, you know, adults think they're cool, too. So um, we want to follow them and be like them, our friends. You look on any social media and you find followers of people who are trending and they admire those people, they want to be like them, they envy them. And that's all well and good, except that oftentimes it leads us into compromising our values, our lifestyle, things that we know that we shouldn't be doing. We'll follow the crowd and we'll end up doing things that are ungodly, things that are against Scripture, things that we would never have ever done if it hadn't been for the motivation uh, of somebody that we have looked up to and we're following along behind. Um, it always comes down to choices. I've told you this before. We can't blame somebody else for our ungodly choices. We, we just make them. We do that. Uh, we sometimes want to do, we want to blame people. We want to blame family, parents. We want to blame friends and everything. But, you know, it's very clear in Scripture that God has told us that the choices that you make bring about the consequences that you go through. And this is true of all of us. And um, I... I'm going to be talking for the next couple of weeks here about choices, okay? Uh, this is sort of the introduction to, to what we're going to be talking about next week as well. But we're going to be covering what I consider to be an important topic. It's a call for you and me as believers in Christ to be different. For us to understand that God has called us to live lives that are different from the world around us, that we don't follow the crowd, that we don't try to imitate other people, because it will lead us into places we don't want to be or should not be. And oftentimes we don't realize that until it's too late. And we make choices that we later regret. Now that's what Paul is dealing with here. We're going to continue along in this study. If you're visiting with us, we've been studying for several months now um, a study of Ephesians. And we're looking today and dealing with the topic of choosing to be different. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn. The verses will also be up on the screen for you if you didn't bring your Bible. But we're going to be looking at these five verses today. In Ephesians 4, uh, verses 17 through 21. Let me read through this before we jump into this, okay? Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and here's what he says. He says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do 
in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were, and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, got a lot of stuff in it, but I want to pull out for you three observations that I want to sort of drive home here this morning. Here's the first observation or point that I want to make in this passage, and that is this. That what you read here is not a suggestion, but it's a command. This is not a suggestion that we as believers do this. It's not optional in the sense that God gives us a choice. God says through the Apostle Paul that this is something that we are to do. Now let's go back and look at this first verse, verse 17. So I tell you, now notice that, he said, I'm telling you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must not, you must no longer live like the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles are in the New Testament is a term that represents the unbeliever. They're always referred to as the Gentiles. And I don't want to get into why that is, but just take it for, for what it's worth here. He's talking about Christians living like the pagan world. He says, I'm telling you, don't do it. And this is to all believers. If this is scripture that is inspired, and we believe that it is, then it doesn't just apply to the first century church. It applies to you and me today as well. And we are told in scripture that we are not to live like pagans. Now, it's interesting that he would say that because sometimes we get the idea that, well, if you're a Christian, you won't do that. But what I'm going to show you today is going to challenge that to some degree because yeah christians sometimes do and we're being told not to now i hear people say all the time well the bible teaches that i'm not under the law so why am i being told or commanded and i don't understand where you get that idea from by the fact that you're not under the law we've talked about this a lot of times not being under the law doesn't mean that you're without restraint God puts restraints on his people. God puts guidelines on his people. New Testament teaching <coughs> is full of instruction that you and I are to adhere to and to follow. In the Bible, it is referred to the faith as the faith. In other words, the faith. All through the New Testament, you find this reference to the faith. And what it basically means is this. The New Testament teaching of the apostles. It is the faith that we adhere to. It's the faith that we believe. It's the faith that we obey. It's the faith that guides our lives as believers. The teaching in Scripture, for example, about not being um, immoral, that's part of the faith that we live by. The teaching about loving your brother as yourself, that's part of the faith that we live by. And whenever it uses that terminology, it's not talking about your faith in God, is talking about the faith of the Scripture. In other words, the body of doctrine or teaching of the apostles. And that's the way it's portrayed in Scripture. Now, I've got two throat lozenges in now, so <coughs> I guarantee nothing from this point on. So, all right. 
But this is the teaching. Now let me give you some verses, because I want to show you some verses in Scripture where this is used, this term, the faith. Because you need to understand this. Because a lot of times we'll read verses in the Bible, and we'll come across something that talks about the faith, and we'll, we'll in our minds think, well, it's talking about me not having faith. And that's not really the teaching. It's talking about you not obeying the doctrine of the New Testament. And so let me show you what I'm talking about. For example, in Jude chapter 3. I'm sorry, Jude verse 3. There's only one chapter in Jude. But Jude 3, it says this. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He's saying, I wanted to write to you about our great salvation. But I felt compelled by the Spirit of God to write to you and encourage you to contend for the faith that was delivered to God's people. He's talking about the doctrine of the, of the apostles. Because they weren't. They were giving in to false doctrine. Here's another one. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. We're jumping into the middle of a sentence here, but he says, Rooted and built up in him... Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflow, overflowing with thanks, thankfulness. In other words, something that they were taught. This doctrine of the New Testament is what they were taught. This called the faith. Titus 1.13. Paul writes to Titus and here's what he says. This saying is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. In other words, rebuke them when they're living in sin because we want them to live soundly in the faith or the doctrine of the New Testament. Just a couple more, okay? In 1 Timothy 3.9, it says this, They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. The deep truths of the Bible, the teaching of the apostles, is referred to as the faith. In 1 Corinthians 16.13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong. Be firm in it. Adhere to it. Obey it. Know it. Believe it. Adhere to it. And then, lastly, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, Paul said this, writing to Timothy. And sometimes people have looked at that and they think to themselves, well, why was Paul saying that he kept his faith? Well, that's not what he said. He said, I've kept the faith. I have adhered to the doctrine of the Scriptures. I have been obedient to God. I have lived like God wanted me to live. Now, here's why, where I'm going with this, okay? Whenever we are called upon to be obedient and we're told in Scripture that we should be, we are being obedient to this, the faith, the teaching of the apostles, what was handed down to us, the Bible, the New Testament. And all through the Bible, we're told to do that. We're told to be that, that person, that believer that does that. There are, however, times when believers don't live that way. And in writing this to the Ephesians, he's saying basically to them, this is not an option, guys. Now, you may be here today and you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, I'm saved by grace. 
I know that Jesus died for me. I know that I'm on my way to heaven. I put my faith in Christ, and I've been given eternal life. And the Bible clearly teaches you have eternal life. You didn't earn it. It was given to you by faith. It was a gift of God. If I didn't earn it, then I certainly can't lose it because God is faithful to you regardless of whether you're faithful to him or not. So we ask ourselves then, what's the problem? If I'm a believer and I know that I'm going to heaven and I have that assurance, then what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is God says, now that you are a believer, that God says, I want you to represent me and here's what I want you to do. Stop living like the pagan and start living like a believer, adhering to the doctrine of the New Testament and what I have given you to live by. And so there's no way around this because some people try to do spiritual gymnastics and get around this, but you can't. God has said to you and me, we have a responsibility to adhere to the teaching of Scripture. And it doesn't matter what society does. This is important. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what your teachers teach you in school. It doesn't matter what people that are your friends say to you. It doesn't matter what social media says or what you read on the Internet or what you see in movies. None of that matters because the values of those people are not the values of the church, the believers. And you and I have a responsibility to adhere to that. Now, Here's the second observation or point that I want to make to you, okay? And I've kind of alluded to it already, but number two is this. That these Christians living here in Ephesus, these Christians had been living like unbelievers for some time. Now here's where some of you are going to struggle. Because your theology teaches you, and your theology, not mine, but yours, teaches you that, hey, real believers, they don't act that way. So if somebody's acting that way, they're an unbeliever. They're lost. There's no way they could be a believer. And I want you to challenge that thinking today because you and I have, I think, done a disservice to the church with a doctrine like that. Is it true that... (coughs) Excuse me, guys. I'm sorry. Is it true that there are times when believers act in such a way that you can't tell the difference? Absolutely. And there are times when unbelievers act or at least call themselves believers and and act ungodly, and you don't know whether they are or not. I I understand all of that. But you've got to stop building doctrine on people's lifestyle. What they live and how they live and who they are doesn't change Scripture. So we look at the Scriptures to determine the truth and apply it to people. So let's look then at this, this point here. These Christians had been living like unbelievers for some time. Look at what verse 17 says. He says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. What do you mean no longer? Because they had been living that way for obviously some length of time. When Paul visited Ephesus, he visited Ephesus and established churches there and built uh, or established the, the body of Christ and put elders in place ten years earlier. He's writing this letter to the church that he established ten years ago. And he's writing back to these people. These are not new believers. And somewhere over the last ten years, they've had their high points, their good things that they've done. They've been uh, applauded and, and lifted up as a good church. But there are times 
in the body and the life of that church where they weren't living as they should have. And he's writing now to these people that are believers, and he never questions it. Understand that. He never questions that they're believers. And that's important to note. Because you see, we do. We're quick to write somebody off because, hey, they don't measure up. They don't live like us. They don't look like us or act like us. And we write them off. We say, well, old Joe here, he's lost. Some churches who believe you can lose your salvation say, well, he lost it. It's gone. No, he didn't. If he is a believer, then he is solid, secure in Christ and the blood that was shed for him. But the choices that he makes may be ungodly choices. And you've got to allow in your theology the possibility that believers do that. Because obviously these had been. And it looks like it's been going on for some time because Paul says to them, you are to no longer do that. Now let me share with you because he goes through this real quickly. Several characteristics of what an unbeliever looks like. He says this is who they are, what they look like. Now don't you look that way. Don't you act that way. So what are some of the characteristics? Well, there's three things I want to show you that as he looks here in these next three verses. Number one, the unbeliever. What's the characteristic of the unbeliever? He lives without purpose. In other words, there's nothing going on in his life of spiritual value. He goes through life and he never, ever does anything that is of spiritual significance. Now, understand that, okay? He may be a philanthropist. He may do good things in the community and so forth. That has no spiritual value. When that man or woman dies, what will they take into the future with them? What will they take into eternity with them? That's what he's talking about here. Now watch. Verse 17 says, No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now what does he mean by that? The futility of their thinking. Well, their lives are empty, he says. Everything they do is empty. It's vain. It's of no value long term. They may have a lot of value here on earth and do good things, but he's saying spiritually, eternally, what are they doing that's going to last? He says they're fruitless, they're going nowhere, they're neglecting what's important. He's saying, now, if that's the case with the unbeliever, then why do you act that way? And see, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Why do we act that way sometimes? Now, what I mean by that is this. We get so wrapped up in our lives that we fail to see the value of what lies ahead. Everything that matters to us is right here in front of us. And we live our lives for this life only. People are the thing of value. And God has told us all through the Bible that you and I need to be investing our our lives in in people. When you teach a Sunday school class of small children or work work in a WANA or do something of that, uh, like that, and you are ministering to these children, you are doing something that's going to have purpose long term. It's not empty. It's not void. It's not in vain. It's not futile. You know, you look at these little guys. You call them rugrats, ankle biters. You know, they're snotty noses. Well, I, can't, I can't say that. I've made it up. 
you know, they, and, they, and they do and they say things and, and, and they're rowdy and they're obnoxious sometimes. And, and we think, well, let somebody else do it. And God says, why not you? Because, you know so what? Because working with them, that's something of eternal value. You know, when you share your faith with somebody, maybe somebody at work, and you build a relationship with that person and you share your faith with them, that's of eternal value. That has purpose. When you help somebody that's poor, God says, that's of eternal value. That has a purpose. When you love somebody that's not lovable, oh, man, we all know people like that, don't we? People that are, just aren't lovable. They, you know, they're just mean. But God says you're, you're called upon to love them. You're called upon to forgive them. You're called upon to overlook the prickliness and reach into their lives and make a difference. That has eternal value. It really does. And God says they're a believer. He's saying here through Paul. Now, some of you in Ephesus, he said you're just ignoring this. You're going through life, spending all of your time and effort on things that are going to burn up in the end and things that don't really matter. And that's what unbelievers do. And why are you acting like them? And so, see, the same challenge is there for you and me today. Why do you and I act like them? Why are we living lives in vain futility and fruitlessness? Why why do we do that? Paul says, don't do that. Don't be like them. Here's another characteristic of the unbeliever. And that is that he is spiritually blind. He is spiritually blind. Look at verse 18. It says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He's saying, now here's what characterizes the unbeliever. They have hardened their hearts towards spiritual things. They don't want to talk about God. God doesn't mean anything to them. And they don't believe it. So they have hardened their hearts to the whole spiritual realm. And they are blind. They are separated from the life of God. God has this wonderful life for them, an eternal life in the end, and they don't care. And so Paul says, now, don't you do that. Well, how in the world would an unbeliever, how would a, a, a Christian do that? Well, it's, it's pretty easy. We cut ourselves off from the life-giving flow of the Spirit of God. We quench the Spirit all the time. The Spirit of God is working in your heart to bring about fruit in your life and to lead you and guide you and direct you. This is what Jesus meant in John 15 when he says, Now, here's the way it works, guys. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you walk with me and abide in me, you'll bear a lot of fruit. Because without me, you can't do anything. Oh, well, here we got all these believers in churches today who are walking according to the way of the world, and they have cut themselves off to a degree from the life-giving flow of the Spirit of God. This is what John meant later on in, in, in 1 John when he said, Walk in the light. Walk in the light. Why are you living in darkness? And, and Christians do this. See, we equate darkness with evil. Darkness just means this, that God is shining the light into your life to give you guidance and and, and warmth and and encouragement and all these things. And we walk over here under the light and do our own thing. 
And in that sense, we are just like an unbeliever because we have cut ourselves off from the life-giving flow that God wants for all of us. Here's the third characteristic of the unbeliever, and that is that he is self-centered. He's self-centered. Now, here's how Paul portrays this. Now, watch in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Now, what is he getting at? He's saying, here's what characterizes their life. They chase after sexual satisfaction and financial satisfaction all their lives. They have given themselves over to sensuality, indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're greedy people. They just want what they want. In other words, they're, they're, they're self-centered. He says, now don't you do that. Well, how would a Christian do that? Well, let's think about it for a moment. You know yourself how easy it is for the believers to fall into the trap of immorality. Some of you have done it. Some are probably thinking about it. Everybody's been tempted. And if you claim that you haven't, you're lying. Because you have. You know how I know that? Because it's fun. It's appealing. If it wasn't appealing and if it wasn't fun, God wouldn't have to warn us about it. But He does. The desire to be rich at whatever cost, to get what we want, to have our way, to be selfish and self-promoting, you know, uh, believers get into that trap. I want what I want, when I want it, the way I want it, and that's all. And what God wants doesn't really matter. I want what I want. And we're self-centered just like this. And Paul says, now wait a minute. If you put all this together, you find a picture of an unbeliever. And he's saying to the church at Ephesus, now don't any longer live like that because you have been. Now stop it. And so to the church today, the message is very clear. We have been. And we need to stop. Because that's not what God called us to. Here's the third observation, the last one, that I want to make in this passage, and that is this. That these Christians knew what to do, but refused to do it. They knew what to do, but refused to do it. Now see, we read this, and, and we read this, and well, maybe they were new believers, and that's who he's writing to. And, he, and he's trying to tell these new believers as they come out of paganism, don't do that anymore. You're a Christian now, and you're, you're going to not do that. Well, you know what? That's not the case here. Because these people not only had been doing it for a while, they knew better. Now watch, verses 20 and 21. He says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. He goes on to say, When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul says, Hey, look. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't have an excuse. Because I taught you better. Other teachers have come along behind me and taught you better. You knew what to do and you made the wrong choice. Guys, we do it all the time. As believers in Christ, we make foolish, ungodly choices. And when somebody looks at our lives, they begin to question, man, is that guy even a believer? You've done it yourself. You looked at other people and thought that. 
And where's our testimony then when people can't tell the difference between us as a believer and the unbeliever? Now, you need to be careful. Because, you see, whenever we make the choice that we're going to live life a certain way, that we're going to live our way and not follow the faith any longer, not adhere to the teaching of the apostles, not adhere to obeying the New Testament, when we do that, we open ourselves up for some dangerous things. Now watch, and let me show you a couple of verses, because there are consequences to not obeying the faith, the Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Listen to this one. He's writing to Timothy. He says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. <coughs> what does that mean? Well, they wanted wealth. They, want, they were greedy. They wanted something that they shouldn't have been after. And so they wandered from the faith and they disobeyed God. And he says, and in doing so, they have shredded their lives. They have pierced themselves with many griefs. What's he trying to say? Man, they just ruined everything. They just messed it all up. You and I know people like this who've messed it up. Let me read you this one last one. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. He says, Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. Alright, a clear conscience. In other words, God wanted you to have a clear conscience. Do it God's way. Live a life that's going to be honoring to God. You chose not to. You chose to live like an unbeliever in some area of your life. And you made a shipwreck of everything. And we know people like this. We know people who have lost their spouses, have ruined their families, have lost their children, have wound up in prison. People who have lost their jobs, their credibility in the community. Everything simply because they thought for some reason it was okay for them as a believer to live like an unbeliever because of the grace of God. Now, I'm not impugning the grace of God. I am, you know how I feel about that. God is gracious to all of us. And there's no sin that we could ever commit that's going to turn God's back away from us. But we sure mess things up sometimes. And guys, you and I know it. Some of you have gone through it. Some of you know people that have gone through it. And what a shambles their lives are now. Now, God can restore, but God doesn't heal scars. Okay? Scars remain. Consequences sometimes remain. But God forgives. God accepts. God restores. But why do you want to go through it? Why do you want to go through it in the first place? And it goes back to this again, okay? It goes back to the choices. You will always be faced with a choice. Are you going to look at that website or not? Are you going to make that phone call or not? Are you going to take that which doesn't belong to you or not? You think to yourself, well, Christians can't. 
do that. No, yes, they can. You're going to see in the end of this chapter, we get into it, what they can do. It always comes down to that, the choice. Are you going to love your wife the way God told you to or not? Are you going to raise those children the way God told you to or not? Are you going to adhere to the faith the way God told you to or not? And it's always the choice. Now, in a moment, we're going to partake together in communion. And here's what I want you to do, okay? This is a great opportunity for you to do this. I want you to do some soul searching as you sit here this morning, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. If you are here today and, and you don't know for sure if you're going to go to heaven, let me read, read you this one verse. It's in John 3:16. It'll appear up on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. That's God's promise to you, that God sent his Son to die on a cross to pay for your sins. And if you will put your faith in him, he will save your soul forever. And I want to encourage you that as we partake today of the bread and the juice as representative of the body that'll be broke, that was broken for you and the blood that was shed for you, take it in faith and believe that Jesus did that for you today. For everyone else. Now here's what I want you to do. You're going to have to do some soul searching, okay? There are areas in your life that if you're honest with yourself and with God, you will admit, God, I act like an unbeliever right there. Right there it is. Little things that I'm doing, little choices that I'm making, I'm acting like an unbeliever would act. God, I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that woman anymore. So right here, as I hold in my hand the representation of your body and your blood, and I take this today, I understand your grace, I understand your forgiveness, I understand that you are a God of second chances, and I confess to you today what I have done. And this is between you and God. This is not between you and me, okay? So I'm not going to give an altar call. I'm rest assured of that. This is between you and God. But right now, today, as you sit here quietly in the next few minutes, why don't you make a commitment to God that you're going to live according to the faith? Live according to the Scripture. Honor God with your life before you make a mess of it. Okay? I want to ask the men that are going to distribute the elements to come on down, if you would. And while they're coming, just begin to spend some time quietly before the Lord. Let God speak to your heart and ask God to show you the areas of your life that need to change. And let Him begin to work on you, okay? But remember, it's choices. That's what it boils down to. Make the godly choices. Night in the upper room, when they all met together, he broke the bread and he passed it to the disciples. He said, now you take and eat this. He said, you take, because this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, you do this to remember me. And so we come together today to partake together to remember. Because here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember what grace is all about. That God sent his son whose body was broken for you, like the bread was broken. And each person partakes of that by faith. And that grace covers you. 
And sometimes we think, well, the grace covers me up to this point. And if I do something in the future, then God's going to really get mad at me and throw me away. Well, think about this. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, all of your sins were still in the future. And yet he made a payment for it then. And he knew you by name. He knew who you were. And he knew that someday you would choose him as your, as his, as your Savior. And yet he died for all of your sins from birth to death. See, that's the grace of God that covers all your sins. Do you realize that only you can mess it up? Only you can mess up your life. You, can't, you cannot mess up the grace of God. Grace says, I will never throw you away. I'll never turn my back on you. I will always be there. But don't mess it up, okay? Just don't mess up your life. Live your life with the Lord according to the faith that we all hold dear. Let's partake together in remembrance of that body. The Bible also tells us that night he took the cup and the wine and he passed it to the disciples and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you, the blood of the new covenant, the New Testament. And he said, this blood is going to be shed to cover your sins because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. The Old Testament the sacrifices consisted of a bleeding animal upon an altar and it had to be bleeding because God said life for life. The sacrifice instead of you. And so as we come today, we celebrate the death of a Savior who has risen, but nonetheless his blood covered our sins. His body took our pain, his blood our sins. Let's partake together in remembrance of that. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you, Father, for putting up with us. That your grace covers all of our sins. And that, Father, you are always faithful to us. Our prayer is that now we as your church would be faithful to you the rest of our lives. May we walk in the faith that you've given us and adhere to that faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.